and welcome to Thrift Shop Biography. This is the one about Sharon Stone. Thank you for listening. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. Are you all right? Yeah, I am all right because I've been reading an amazing book. Hopefully you've been reading the same one. I have. The Autobiography of Sharon Stone. Yes. An almost forgotten legend. Almost forgotten. I mean, we know what happened to her now. Yep. But yeah, she similarly fell off the radar like Demi Moore. Mm. Did you like Sharon Stone? I love Sharon Stone. As soon as you said you found this book, I was like, yes, I love Sharon Stone. But actually, if I stop to think about it, I'm not sure why. Is it just because of Basic Instinct? Which she is amazing in that film. Yeah, I know she is. It's probably just that. She doesn't talk about all of her films. She's very selective in the films that she talks about, which made me question why I love her so much. Because then when I went online and looked through her films, I've only seen about three of them. Exactly. So, But did you feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. She is just exceptional in Basic Instinct. Yeah, but also, of course, when somebody is massively famous in that way, you do see them as themselves. You see them in other things. You read interviews and stuff. I've just always, always really liked her. Mm. But always really rated her as an actress as well, even though I've only seen three films. That's it. Isn't it strange? (laughs) What are the three? Basic Instinct. Yeah. (laughs) Casino. Oh, yes. She's brilliant in that. And Total Recall. Basic Instinct 2. I didn't even know there was one. Because she doesn't mention it. Oh. There's a reason why she didn't oh, mention it. Oh, is it terrible? It. It's as bad as the original is good. Wow. It was a real mistake. Nobody should have gone near it. Oh, my God. No, so it's four because I've seen Total Recall. Actually, I've seen The Specialist. I've seen Sliver, actually, so I've seen more than... Yeah, yeah I just really like and her. And you see her face everywhere because she's the Dior woman. Oh, I think she's possibly the most beautiful woman I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, she's stunning. Yeah, like, yes, mm. she is. She really is. Yeah, she really it's is. It's Irish blood. It's is a lot it? of beautiful Irish people. Is there? Yes. Name another one. The cause. <laughs> <laughs> they are very beautiful. Yeah. yeah. What about the Nolans? Are they Irish? What? Um. Anyway, <laughs> let, let's talk about Sharon. I don't know anything about the Nolans apart from... You know, their careers. What do you mean, apart from their careers? That's all there is to know about about their careers, I don't even know that. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, this podcast is not about the Nolans. That's lucky, Because we didn't read their book this week. (laughs) But if we had, we would make one about it. Well, I found it this week. Oh, it's on the list, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't think they're global. If any Americans Mm. listening um, know who the Nolans are, let us know and we'll do it. I feel like one of them married Bobby from Dallas. No, she, yeah, I don't okay. think she did. <laughs> why do you think that? I don't know. I've always thought that. I've always thought... No, you know why? Mm, no. It's because I think one of them looks like Victoria Principal, who was married to Bobby from Dallas in Dallas. You see, I need to read the book because I know bugger all. Of course. So we know so much more about Sharon Stone. Yeah. Yeah, so we should get on with it. Okay. <laughs> so little Sharon Stone was born in 1958 in a town called Meadville, Pennsylvania. But I love the way she says where that town's located. Between, what is it? Between pit hole and titty out. <laughs> and she said that her and her sister just thought that was hilarious when they grew up. Because it is hilarious. <laughs> it is. I'd imagine is. if you're a little kid living there, that's even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Pit hole and titty out. <laughs> Meadville is a tiny working class rural town. Yeah, and it's Amish country. So it is kind of a backwater of America, really traditional. 
Her dad's family were rich, right? But they lost it all by the time her dad was four. Yeah. They were the oil workers of the area, well, mm-hmm. oil discoverers, and her gran ran the business, and they had a massive explosion, and the, her dad's dad was killed, an uncle, and so all the money went to her dad's cousin, the uncle's son, who was 18-year-old bloke, because his mother, who'd run the business, couldn't inherit because she's only a woman. So that's where the beginning of this woman problems turns up. This is basically an ode to the journey of women from where they started in a bad place Mm -hmm. and where they end up in a much more hopeful position to go forth into society. That's like the theme of the whole book, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's the underlying thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sharon's mum comes from a modest family and, and she had an awful childhood. Yeah. But because this book's almost in two halves, it's called The Beauty of Living Twice. Yeah. So there is a real change that we'll discuss in a bit. So she's small town. She's with her mum and dad, but she also has an older brother, Mike. Then Sharon is born. And then she gets a younger sister, Kelly, and a younger brother, Patrick. So there's four kids in the family. And it's all a bit rough and tumble. But Sharon is really switched on, right? She's an incredibly bright kid, more so than her brothers and sisters, more so than her mum and dad. And that's recognised. And at school, she's put ahead of her time. Mm, She goes straight into second grade, skips first. And then that causes her trouble. She goes back down into first grade and that causes her trouble because she's either too intelligent for one bit or just a bit behind on the other. Mm -hmm. And the kids don't take her on board at all. She's pretty on her own at school, it seems. So you see, here we are again, that theme of being a bit of an outsider. Absolutely. In fact, she describes that point where the popular girls are all walking towards her and she's sort of looking around going, are they really walking towards me? They are. Why? The most popular girl is walking right towards her, smiling. She's thinking, this can't be happening. Oh, my God, she's going to talk to me. She walks right up to her and slaps her as hard as she can in the face. Everybody laughs. Mm. This book, she's very selective about the stories she tells. There's a million billion stories missed out. She puts in the ones that tell the story about how women behave to other women. You know, Mm -hmm. she keeps the narrative really strong. Once you've read it, you realise what she was trying to tell you all the way through. Just things like this. Why are women so mean to other women or girls? Why don't we look after each other? But I end up saying that again ten more times. <laughs> you will. Because I feel, I feel like it really hit home to me. And it's not the first time I've ever thought that, that we just need to support each other more. We're pitted against each other so much, not necessarily by men or society, but we sort of almost do it by nature, compete. Okay, full disclosure, I didn't get that from this book. And now you've said it, Amazing. of course that's what this book is about. Yeah. Because you've read it with a female brain and right. I read it with a male brain. Yeah. But it took her her whole life to work it out. This happens more often than not. People writing these books get these massive revelations. And she talked to her mother whilst writing this book and it's the first time her mum actually disclosed to her what really happened in oh, her childhood. Yeah. And she spent her whole life thinking her mother didn't love her. Only when she sat down to write this book, she found out her mother absolutely loved her and thought she was doing the best. There is a part at the end where she says she's just now coming to full realisation of her relationship with her mother and she's 60 and her mum's in her mid-80s. Her mum was abused by her father. She was the one, I think she got it worse because she was holding her little sister's hand when a drunk driver hit 
the, oh. the little sister and just smashed her right out of her hand, gone and dead. And she had to go home and tell her parents their daughter had died. So she had to bear that news. And I think she probably took beatings more from that point on. It seemed like her life just became extra crap at that point. Beatings, possibly worse. Uh, the mum's dad was a paedophile. It's pretty clear. Yeah. So they don't really go into the details, but you just get this horrible, horrible feeling. And she was about eight or nine when she finally got changed in a gym class and had a shower and her classmates reported her bruised body to the teachers and social services took her away and put her into a dentist's home where she basically became the maid, the cleaner, the accountant, yeah. laundry, cooking, everything, aged nine. Yeah. And worked for a family as a servant. And she learned to do all of this to support herself and get herself out. But she was probably really intelligent as well, but she mm -hmm. never got a chance to be mm -hmm. schooled. or And she was pregnant at 16 and had to then marry the father. They stayed together their whole lives and they really loved each other. They were an example of love to her, although she didn't know that they loved her, but she knew they loved each other. So she could see love existed. She just didn't feel any personally. Yeah. So the baby they had at 16 was Sharon's older brother, Mike, Michael. Mm. And then there's a gap of a few years before Sharon, like four or five. Mm. I kept forgetting how young her parents were. Yeah, exactly, 16. Yeah, because meanwhile, her dad's family had exploded, basically. He was four, but he always remembered what it was like to have a good life, even up to four. Wow. So he kept it in his head that he was someone. Yeah. It was more than this. So he worked really hard once he married. And then they just drove together to make something of themselves and to make something for their kids, which is why they're such hard disciplinarians. Yeah, that was the bit that I just kind of thought, oh, God, you, you don't have to hit little Sharon and Michael. Do you know what I mean? But they were rough with them. She said the day she realised that... I was getting beaten for stuff that I hadn't done wrong. It was just sadistic. She started to switch her brain, and then there's one point when she was 14. Oh, where she, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. She felt cold inside. She walked down the stairs, fixed her eyes to her dad's eyes, and said, do you need to hit me to feel like a man? Go ahead then, if that's what you need. And he just broke down crying. Yeah. So he knew what he was doing, probably just carrying on, like generational abuse. Amazing that 14-year-old girl stood up to her dad like that, but also awful that she got to that point at the age of 14, that it was so bad at the age of 14 that she was cold inside. Yeah. This is Sharon Stone we're talking about, yeah. and actually said that to her yeah. dad. And she said, I don't love you, I'll never love you. Yeah. And he was absolutely brokenhearted. But her mum was always standing over him, seemingly making him do it. Anyway, so it took her years to find out. Well, it took until she wrote this book to find out why her mother had thought she needed beating it into her. She thought that's the best love she could give is to discipline her to be able to be strong. Stand on her own goddamn feet, she said. Mm -hmm. That's literally what she thought love was. She'd not been parented and nor had her dad. They'd neither been parented. So they were just making it up. I think there are other ways to be made up looking after children. There definitely are. Mm. But she went on such a massive journey because she ends oh, up loving yeah. both her parents yes. with all of her heart and they love her back and they, yeah, they find their way out of it. It's amazing. It's the journey of family and how it's 
really messed up because of the history and that there is a way out. There's a lot of dark stuff, though, because her uncle's death is really... It's like a film. Yes. Did you think that? Yeah, well, because they didn't couldn't work out whether he was murdered or not. And, yeah. and the small tower or saying he was murdered kind of turns out he wasn't. But even he when wasn't. she explains it, I'm kind of like reading it thinking, well, he could have been. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the way she describes it, you see it like a film. The truck's there with the door open. There's blood on the trucks, blood by the truck. He's lying there almost as if he's asleep, pool of blood around his head. Yeah. And she's saying there's a crime scene tape around it and they're all looking at this thing. There's a crowd and they can't go and help him. They can't hug him. They can't touch him because it's a crime scene until they find out what happened and it looks like murder, but it turns out he got drunk, hit his head getting into his truck, managed to drive home, hit his head, he fell out of his truck and hit his head again really hard, collapsed at the top of the steps before he got into his house and froze to death. Yeah. And that is probably a very common way of dying, I imagine. But you said, it's <laughs> I bet it's it is. Well, especially in America, there's so much drink driving. I mean, it's so much. Mm-hmm. If you or I fell asleep on our doorstep, we might make it. No, not that in sub zero. Not in no. an American winter. No. Freezing cold. But he was a character. She does seem to have these aunties and uncles that are kind of eccentric and fun. It's real American small town, it really isn't it? Is. And she has this nice aunt called Aunt Vaughn, yeah. who Sharon is named for. Her middle name is Vaughn. So she looks up to her. She's a bit more stylish and worldly and into poetry and stuff. Sharon really loves her. Now, there's this weird thing where her gran and her auntie come and get Sharon to take her away back to their house to play and to read books. They don't take the other three kids. I found that really odd. And Sharon really used to look forward to her aunt and her grand coming to get her. Mm. But did you think it was weird that they just took her? Yeah, like she was a favourite. Well, I think she was incredibly bright. Mm. I think if they are, you know, more learned people, perhaps they could see where this little Sharon existed in Hicksville with this rough little family and her parents who were so strict on her, perhaps they wanted to kind of save her in some way. I don't Maybe, know. But yeah. then why would you still not to at least take the other girl? I understand not taking the boys. That's true. But she really loved this aunt and grand. But did you get that there was a real dig at Cher in this Oh, book? my God. It's so rude. <laughs> I know. It's, it, she doesn't say anything bad she seems like a nice person. She does say she sometimes could really leave people on the floor. But this is one time. Did you write it down? Yeah, I did write it. I did too. It's Go outrageous. On. Yeah. Style is what you do with what's wrong with you. Barbara Streisand's nose, Clark Gable's ears, Danny DeVito's size, share. Yeah. <laughs> what? I know. I was like... I read it twice because I, I thought... Did. <laughs> I was like, share? What, yeah. all of share? Yeah. Hang on. Oh, my God, you just slagged off Cher so badly. Yeah. What's wrong with you is Cher. (laughs) Oh, my God. And this is in a book by an amazing woman who never... She doesn't sink to those depths of saying anything bad about anyone. She really doesn't. In fact, she really boosts women. It's all about supporting women. There's some beef Something must have happened because she... The circuit she's on, particularly the charitable circuits she ends up on, I can't imagine they don't all run into each other. Yeah. Yeah, something's happened. Definitely. Because that's a bad diss. <laughs> Just share. <laughs> yeah. I read that a couple of times thinking, she's missed out a word. Oh, oh. Oh, wow. No, just share. 
Also, Sharon's family had relatively little money. So it's these two parents with four kids. Because she said the uncle that died on the doorstep, his wife died of cancer. And Sharon got all of her clothes to wear to school. And she said they just stank of cigarette smoke and she could never get rid of the smell. So they don't have money at all, this family. No, but they have dignity. And she always says, you know, Dad's always polishing the shoes. And she looks at the shoes all lined up going, we're going to be all right Mm -hmm. because we've got the right attitude as a family. And her mum, actually, you know, because when she was nine, she was adopted by that family who made her do everything. All of those kind of routines and stuff are really instilled in her as well. So actually, they were an abusive family, regimented family, but they almost seemed ready for anything. Yeah. I mean, when she's a teenager, she goes and does all these jobs like McDonald's. She's very good. She's successful at those sorts of jobs. She becomes manager of a restaurant Mm. and things like that really quick. So Total Recall. So Sharon jumps about quite a lot in this book so let's follow her lead yes so she's already talking about total recall i watched that film because i was a big arnie fan Mm. i would have seen her in that i mean i can remember her but i would not have known her as sharon stone at that point because that's before she became famous it's a good role and it was a memorable role yeah and she's obviously tough because she really kicks his ass and that's not easy to do the trainer that she's with she has to get the kicks up high enough so she can kick him in the head. And then she gets on set and it's like, oh no, Arnold Schwarzenegger's are so much taller. Yeah. So she has to do them even higher. And when you rewatch that clip, oh my God, it's amazing it really what is. she does. Yeah, it it's like proper full on martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I watched it, I thought, wow, because she's got that sort of 80s makeup on. Yeah. She doesn't look as beautiful as when she doesn't have any makeup on at all. Right. Because mm-hmm. anyone could put makeup on and trick you they're beautiful but she really is yeah it's weird isn't it yeah interesting that while she was filming that in mexico there was an earthquake she was too scared to leave her room then she said the phone in her room went and it was her good friend grace jones (laughs) who was sat down in the bar saying sharon come on down and but sharon was too she stayed in her room for like two days because she was too scared whereas grace jones in the middle of an earthquake yeah he's getting hammered in the bar (laughs) with sven with sven did he play arnold's body double or something or was he somebody in the film i don't know she didn't say and i have not looked it up yeah but it's friend for life she says they're yeah. really great friends grace jones does not mention sharon stone in her she autobiography doesn't. she doesn't no oh it says around this time that she paid her parents mortgage off because that's the sort of thing you do when you're earning big money you know we've talked before about Mariah and Tina Turner, these people with awful parents who become world famous and mega wealthy and they stand by their abusive parents. This book really goes a long way into explaining why, because it's always puzzled me. Yeah. And the fact that then Sharon Stone has now paid off her parents' mortgage. But Sharon Stone actually goes further, doesn't she? Because she doesn't just look after them. She really forgives them. and Well, she investigates them and makes them communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. So she understands them. That's one thing most people never do. They never talk. They never yeah. reveal themselves. Yeah. So these people were good people underneath their craziness, basically. Yeah. Sharon's very spiritual. I know we get this big thing which happens to her in a few years but she's always been very spiritual yeah she's really tuned in 
There's lots of things happen that are a bit telepathic. Yeah, like with her prom date, yeah. which was awful. So she's going to the prom with this young lad called Ray. Who's her best friend, yeah. basically. What, are they 16? They're 17 when this terrible thing happens. Mm. So she comes home from work one night and she just feels really weird, like the wind's been taken out of her and she has to sit down. She says she can just remember that she has to really control her breathing. She doesn't know what's going on. She sits down with her back to the sofa and she just sits there for the longest time. Yeah, really, really anxious. Until the sun comes up and then the phone rings. And it's Ray's mum who tells her that Ray has been killed. He was on his motorbike and he was hit by a car, a hit and run, and it only broke his jaw. But He's lying on the floor and the hit and run driver didn't stop. But so he, And he ended up choking to death. If the hit and run driver had stopped, he would have survived. Yeah. So it was a slow death. And all that time was exactly the time she was sitting there knowing, couldn't breathe. This happens a lot to her, this sort of stuff. Yeah, psychiness. and you know what I, how I feel about such Yeah, things. are you starting to think if anybody, If anybody has... I mean, we've read books where people have said that before and I'm just like, oh, shut I've up. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> it's definitely something we, but now, we don't sh- understand. But... Sharon Stone is the one who's got me closest really? to believing, okay, there's probably something here. There's something. Only, only and, I, it's and some sort of energy... I don't know what it is, but there's more... Well, there's so much we don't understand, at least except that. Of course, I, I get that. And it's kind of like she was really good friends with Ray, best friends. So they obviously had some kind of a connection. You can call it a spiritual connection. Because it's interestingly, they were prom dates, but they weren't boyfriend or no. girlfriend. So I think that's a deeper bond that they were best friends, actually. Yeah. And things like this happen again in her life. She's just so open and attuned to everything. But that's this amazing brain that she has, you know. Mm. She's sensitive to everything. She is, like, if you want to talk about brains in terms of IQ and stuff, I mean, she's undeniably genius level. I looked it up on Wikipedia. So she's got an IQ of 154. That's genius level. She's genius, yeah. Yeah. Well, she says, doesn't she, that her... Like, I think one of her aunts or something taught her how to count cards. Oh, yeah, she can count cards. And yeah. they went to Vegas and they got thrown out. Got, because, she got thrown out yeah. of a casino She's, because she kept winning. Yeah. That's a genius level brain because if you can count cards, you have to have expansive memory. And you can do all the odds and everything. Yeah, yeah. Calcu- yeah definitely. Yeah. And yet she was told she had a midget brain by the math teacher or whatever. She, it's because yeah. she was a woman. It's because she was a little girl, probably. Probably. She basically lets us know a bit about her teenage years and it's all wrapped up with a boyfriend she had who was a hippie intellectual stoner. She's definitely a stoner. Sharon Stone is a stoner. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing I've learned. Sometimes she'll sit on a beach and someone else is having a tequila and she's smoking weed. That's who she is. She's the smoker. But that boyfriend who was actually a pot dealer, was sharing a house with her brother, Mike, who ended up doing a bit of dealing and then very quickly slipped into much more dangerous drug dealing Mm -hmm. because that was all wrapped up with the same time. So she was around it all. And her brother, Mike, started coke dealing and then she's around pretty bad people. And then it gets dangerous really fast. And then he crosses the state line into New York and gets arrested with a ton of coke on him. So he's got 15 years to life in prison. He serves five, but his life is ruined because he's got 10 years probation and no one will hire him to do anything. His life's ruined. I think she gave him a lot of opportunities, actually. But with that, there's a lot unspoken that is implied. There's a lot of violence, threats to their families, because as soon as he was arrested, 
I imagine a lot of his associates were putting pressure and threatening the family not she didn't go into it, mm-hmm. but it sounds it's really scary enough to, for them to want her out of the area. Yes. So they get her to New York. Yeah, the mum and dad say to Sharon, she gets an opportunity to go to New York. She's still young, mm. but they say, yeah, it's better that you're out of the yeah, way. Yeah, so it was so, pretty bad times, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. He served in Nam, Mike, a merchant navy or something. He ended up seeing too much. And that's also, yeah, he said he caught his wedding ring and he was jumping down and it's, it amputated his finger. And so yes. he ended up in the amputee's place with all the Vietnam people coming back with all their amputations. And a lot of them were taking heroin to cope with it mm-hmm. and all the hallucinations and stuff. And that sort of got him into drugs, basically. Mm-hmm. And it sort of sent him off on a bad path. Also in a small town with limited prospects anyway. Yeah. I mean, what are your options there? Yeah. Just Sharon. That got her out. Hey? Yeah, it did, because what happened is that she, little genius Sharon, already at the age of 15, got a scholarship to the local university for creative writing, and she went, but actually, again, like when she was younger and was put a year ahead, now she's with older kids, and so she just feels out of place. She does all right, but she enters a beauty pageant. One of the judges says to her, wow, you need to forget about your studies and go to New York, which sounds like a crazy thing to do for an extremely intelligent young woman. But when she floats the idea with her mum and dad, they're like, yes, this is going to get you out of this yeah. area. Go. So she goes to New York. She has an auntie there, so she's not going to no one. And she signs with Eileen Ford. Yes. And we've read Janice Dickinson. Janice Dickinson and Grace but, Jones, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. But Janice Dickinson had so much trouble getting signed, didn't she? She oh, had yeah. to go and bang on the door, bang on the door, and she wasn't good enough. Yes, but you know why? Yeah, because she was the wrong type. She was yeah. too dark. Sharon Stone is blonde hair. Sharon Stone is white, exactly... beautiful American. Yeah, right. they she's... said Eileen Ford is the model. <laughs> we learned so much in these books. Yeah, we suddenly know all about the modelling industry. <laughs> Eileen Ford really takes a stereotypical American beauties. Wilhelmina takes the people who um, don't... <laughs> yeah, who don't, <laughs> who don't fit, fit the, into the it. norm, yeah. yeah. So she's straight in with Eileen Ford. Straight in there. But she's not the right shape for catwalk. You have to be anorexic. She wasn't anorexic. She was curvy. Mm-hmm. I mean, curvy by modelling standards. Yeah, right. So, yeah, because but so she gets sent on all the weird jobs, mm-hmm. the odd jobs, the ones where she gets painted all in gold and, you know, the odd jobs. She said she could make £5,000 twice in a day. Yeah. Amazing. Then she brings up her neck. She says that the scar on her neck becomes problematic. And I think, oh, she has a scar on her neck. When she was 15, she was breaking in a horse. This tells you what a tough young woman she was. Breaking in a horse anyway. As in a wild horse and trying to make it rideable. Because she would get, if she could break it, she'd get $25. So she was breaking in a horse. Her mum was out hanging the washing up. The horse is obviously going wild, makes a bolt for it, past the washing. The washing line. <laughs> the washing line goes across Sharon Stone's neck, but her foot is caught in the stirrups. So she's oh. still on the horse being strangled by the washing line. Yeah, which basically grots her. Yeah. Completely and utterly slices through her neck. Yeah. Her mum goes into survival mode and slams her hand on the chest of this horse. And I don't know what happens, but it's somehow they're disentangled. But she's got her literally neck flapping open. open yeah. Flapping bloody open. She's lucky to be bloody alive. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And there's no time to get her to the hospital, so I think the doctor comes yeah, to her. Yeah, and puts like 
butterfly stitches in it or something, like 18 or something like yeah. that. So it heals. I really get it. She had something like a red rope under a pink rope, under a white rope. Mm-hmm. I really get the picture of that, mm-hmm. the scar. So she's got this hideous scar right across her neck that gets make up over for films yeah. and obviously for modelling shoots. Mm-hmm. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> hey, another thing about her modelling... She used to go to Studio 54. I know. And I've never known that. No, I didn't know she was part of that history. She wasn't anybody, so she wouldn't have been photographed with the mm-hmm. gang. With You know, she just would have been one of the people there. Yeah. Never got in a photograph. Mm-hmm. No, she might be in some of the photographs. Well, she probably would think we would have seen them by now? No. Oh, do you yeah. know what? I have to say, very disappointed, Sharon Stone. There are no photos in this book. I know. Where are your photos? I know we can Google you, but once. Yeah. It's the first book I've read where there's been no photos, I and I have to say I'm right. very disappointed. I think she's written it like a book to read. Well, yeah. No, but like a, a novel. Also, because I did think about this, she's got such a beautiful, stunning face, and almost what she might be saying is don't judge me by my outer shell because that's not who I am inside. And that's what everyone would is saying, essentially. But particularly her, because she's so bloody stunning. That's just a cover for this incredibly complex person. So the photos would negate the messages. It might be what she's thinking because she's been judged by her yeah. face so much. Yeah. That was what I thought, anyway. So she's... Doing all right with the modelling, getting around, getting lots of advertising work and stuff, rather than high fashion stuff, like you say. And then, not long after, she joins a line to become an extra in a Woody Allen movie. Now, did you not think it was weird that Woody Allen himself was kind of interviewing the sexy lady extras? It is weird. She roller skates there as well. I like this because she couldn't really afford the train fare all the time. Plus, you get fit. She roller skates to that and he's just sat on a chair waiting to be an extra. And Woody Allen sits next to her and just stares at her for between 10 and 15 minutes and doesn't say a word. And she's so nervous, she decides to also not speak. So that's what happened. Weird. Well, he is weird. We know that. We know he's really weird. Seriously, what are you going to learn after the first 30 seconds? <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's that all about? He's so, just being a creep, isn't he? Yeah, I he? think it is. I think it's really creepy. And she gets the part and they beef up her part. Like a day's work became weeks of work. Did you um, watch that on YouTube? No. Oh, she's beautiful. Really? Yeah, I don't know how it became weeks of work because it literally is just a kiss through a train window. Is it? And it's shot in black and white and she really looks like a 1940s film star. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. He said, don't kiss like that. Kiss it like you're kissing me. Gross that he would say that, implying that he thinks that she'd really, really want to snog you. Yeah. But that's her first bit of screen time, and it's not a speaking role. But it's enough to start her off and think, right, she's got to move to L.A. and get going on this acting thing. And she takes it very seriously. You know, she takes acting classes, and she continued to take acting classes throughout her career. Yeah. She's She's committed to the art. Yeah, she really is passionate about it. And she gets this lovely teacher called Roy London. Yeah, You know how some of them break them to make them? He just made her. He didn't yeah. break her. And he just says all the right things. He says, right, you've graduated. You can do this. She says, no, I haven't. He says, you've played all the women's parts now. She said, okay, then now I need to play all the men's parts. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Because I do sometimes think she is so beautiful and feminine, but she is so masculine as well. She is sort of just channels an energy that you can't pinpoint to a she gender. She definitely has a 
look of steely determination mm. in her eyes. Like when I imagine her, she is absolutely beautiful. I should stop saying that in this podcast about an amazing woman, just how beautiful she yeah. is. But she is. Yeah. Um, but it's just, she has that look in her eye. That yeah. she's going to succeed and she's going to get there. She said her manager said, you're not sexy. There's nothing sexy about you. And Roy London kept saying, you've got to stop leaving your sexuality at the door yeah. because everyone has a sexuality. How are you going to act any role if you keep doing that? She's obviously afraid of that side of her. And then she fights to get basic instinct, which isn't long after. It's 1992. But she says she's 32. She's 32 years old. I, I know. I, I couldn't believe that either. And it's her 18th movie. Yeah. Yeah. And she fought to get it because she'd heard about it and no one would give her a script. So her agent broke into the office and robbed the script so she could prepare properly for it. And no one would give her a screen test. And eventually, 12 actresses had screen tests and all got rejected. She was the 13th, and Michael Douglas finally said, OK. Yeah, because he didn't want her. He didn't want her. But it's the same director as Total Recall. Yes, and she Paul Verhoeven. And ass off on that. So she, yeah. He should have known what she was capable of, but maybe she wasn't sexy enough in that. If you see her in Total Recall, and then basically it's such a more mature, yeah. powerful woman. I think, she doesn't say this in the book, but I think because it was such a risky film, Basic Instinct, and they have Michael Douglas, I think they wanted a named actress, and Sharon Stone wasn't at that point. But I think those 12 women who Michael Douglas wanted to work with were probably the popular actresses at that time and they probably all read the script saw the amount of sex and nudity and thought no way and then they probably realized that any named actress at that point probably wouldn't accept that role Mm. and then Sharon Stone was so utterly persistent and Paul Verhoeven did know her from Total Recall Mm. so she got cast and then I did watch the screen test it says the screen test is online and it's almost exactly the same as the scene. Yes, I know. She's incredible. Yeah, which makes you realise she pretty much directed herself. I think she probably just smiles a little bit less in the finished thing. Yeah, but That's she had had the script for about six months she at had. this point, so she could nail it. Yeah. No, I watched that thinking, this is exactly like the film. It's an amazing performance. Mm. It really hones in on her yeah. face and her eyes, and you can see it in her eyes. And at this point in the book is when she drops the big clanger. Didn't see it coming. Because you thought you'd gone past the childhood stuff, yeah. which wasn't very nice. But she drops in that her granddad's a massive, a big, fat paedophile. <sighs> yeah, so it's pretty nasty. And the way it's written is so amazing. It's Again, it's almost like a film. I can sort of picture this dusty room and there's a big farmhouse table in the middle and there's 12 cats tied up to the table so she said as soon as you even approach the house you can hear this scratching and meowing because all these cats are trying to get away they're all tied up to the table in the middle of the room that's insane and very filmic Mm -hmm. isn't it and then she says it's light pouring in it's extremely dusty you see all dust particles and this chair that's really thickly woven and where you can sort of see every bit of weave and every and it's like when you something intense is happening to you, you can hone in on something and really see it so clearly because you're basically having so much panic in your brain. You get this amazing focus. So she describes this and basically describes her little sister being abused by her granddad. Her grandma is blocking the door. Oh, my God. In the room. I'm not sure, but sometimes she gets thrown into the cellar. Basically, she says... 
I wasn't a victim, I was a witness. And she says, no, no, stop, I was a victim. Of course she's a victim. Absolutely traumatised both of these young girls. And basically the reason she puts this in, this is about the middle of the book, so you don't see it coming, is because she channels all of this energy that she's got from these horrible experiences into basic instinct and says it's the most freeing experience of her whole life because she hadn't acknowledged the anger from all of this. She said that she was stabbing the actor with this retractable ice pick. The director's going harder, harder, and she's frenzied, and she's stabbing him and actually channeling how much she'd like to stab to death her granddad. Then the actor passes out, although it's a prosthetic chest with blood all squirting out of it, and she's really shaken up, but it's cathartic because she actually realises, although she'd love to have stabbed him to death, she isn't a murderer. She wouldn't do that. And she learns to let the emotions out and deal with it. Her performance really is a cut above in that film. That's really the film that brought her to the world's attention. But she wasn't taken seriously by half of the critics. Mm. And when her name was announced at the nominations for the Golden Globes, people laughed. Mm. And I think it's because they didn't see beyond what the film was, obviously, it caused such outrage because of the nudity and the sex that I think a lot of people actually didn't see the film for what it was, mm. which is an amazing 90s thriller. Yeah, and she's saying now we, we're so much more used to nudity and violence, but then there was so much less. So it was- She says that you can see an erect penis on Netflix these days. Well, I've never seen an erect <laughs> penis on Netflix, have you? I don't- can't think. It doesn't. Well, I'd like to know what program this is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Let's talk about the famous shot again. This is something that really overshadowed the whole of Basic Instinct. There's this infamous shot where she crosses her leg, uncrosses her legs in the interrogation room. It's very I mean, clear that she's not wearing any underwear. Yeah. Now, there is a vagina shot, very clearly. It's well it, lit. Yeah, it's, it's, just, right it's a close-up of her vagina on the screen. It really is. And she did not know that was being filmed. No, the director said, could you take your white panties off because they are shining up on the camera. We won't see anything. It's dark. She wouldn't be wearing underwear. So yeah. we don't want to see that you are, but we won't see anything. Yeah. And she first saw her own vagina on a cinema screen in front of a whole showing of lawyers, accountants. Oh, my God, at the screening. She's absolutely furious. She said she went up to the projection room and slapped the projectionist. I guess... She... No, the director. Oh, it was the director? Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I went back to find that. I thought, was it the projectionist? No, why was he slapped the projectionist? It's not fair. Reaction. It's not fair <laughs> at all. I can't believe that's the first time she's... I mean, that's awful. The director deserves a slap. Yep. To do that to her anyway, but then to not let her know that is coming up while she sat in a cinema full of men, the lawyers, the agents, everybody involved in the promotion of that film. What a humiliation. I know. And the thing is, when you watch that part, the character is deliberately showing them her vagina. That's the story they were telling, but they just didn't tell her that's the story they were telling. And it's very powerful, but there's no way she should have been made to do that without being given a choice yeah. about it. She well, of course, initially she was furious and she called her lawyer and she said, this is not happening. And there was a big to and fro between her and the director and the studio saying, I don't want my vagina projected on a massive cinema screen. Yeah. 
And the, her lawyer said, don't worry about it. And said they can't do it. It will make the film an X rating, which means it won't sell. It's 1992. There's no way they're going to do it. But actually, they wanted to force that through. And then so in the end, she really had to rationalize it all and think, oh, Christ, this is going ahead, even though I didn't know about it. But then the more she thought about it, she kind of thought, well... Do you know what? It is right for the it character. It is right for the character. It I is can right see for that. the film. Yeah. I hate that they stole it from her. Yeah. But it is right for the character. I think it's really amazing of her to have realised that. I wonder if they had said to her in 1992, she hasn't had a big hit film. If they'd have said to her, OK, we're going to have a shot of your vagina, she probably would have thought, I've killed my career. It's never yeah. been done before. I wonder, I mean, I don't think it's the right thing for them not to tell her, but I wondered if they had told her. I know, I know both sides of that, but it doesn't make it right. Do you know what I thought? If she'd have said no, they'd have just used a stunt. <laughs> stunt double. A <laughs> double. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to cut a lot of that Yeah, I know. funny. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's good because I've looked at her on YouTube and she's used that as a story. She does a lot of talks about women in film and all sorts of stuff like that, and it's empowerment. We now have control. We now should talk about everything. Everything's more out in the open now and talked about, but she didn't even have the power to go to the press and say that that had happened or anything. So everybody just thought that was her. She's like this sex actress. Mm -hmm. That's what she got labelled as for ages. But now she's out there telling this story over and over again. You young actresses, you should know that you have some choices. These are the choices you can make. These directors can't do this to you. Also, let's not forget that she sometimes is the only woman on a film set. I know. So how do you speak up in that yeah, position, she, actually? Yeah. She's saying sometimes she's the only woman and naked. You know, there might be one hairdresser or one script woman and that's it. And yeah. 200 men. She does say at some point in an interview, and I did Google this and it is there for all to see. The interviewer says, so um, have you actually had any of Me Too moments in your career? And she just goes, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. She's like, basically, what do you think? So Basic Instinct is a massive hit. Yeah, huge. Did you see it in the cinema? Yeah, I did, yeah, actually. Yeah, I did. And she said she ran around all the cinemas with yeah. the mate going from one to the next to the next. Just the audience reaction was wild. Yeah. It's really cool. So she's made it. She yeah. is a big star. Basic Instinct is her 18th movie. And she's getting decent film roles. And she talks about The Quick and the Dead, which I saw in the cinema as well. Did you? Yeah, I did. I really liked it. Because I'd seen Russell Crowe in Romper Stomper. Oh, right. So had she. So had she. And she got him the part in The Quick and the Dead. And also, she wanted Leonardo DiCaprio, who was kind of slightly known. He was very young. The studio didn't want him. So Sharon Stone paid Leonardo DiCaprio's fee. To get him Out in of the her film. own fee. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she had an eye for the talent because Russell Crowe was relatively unknown. Yeah. So that's very interesting that Basic Instinct, before that, she's a jobbing actress, really, a couple of middling roles. Yeah. But then she gets Basic Instinct, becomes a massive star, and quite short after, she can pick actors and stuff and make decisions on film yeah, sets. That's, that's quite good. amazing. And Gene Hackman, she brought out oh, of yeah. retirement, basically. Yeah. So she, and he carried on working after her. So she made him cool again. 
she had a relationship from The Quick and the Dead. She fell in love with Bob Wagner. I would say Wagner, but it's probably Wagner. Yeah. He was the second assistant director. It was the love of her life. They're kind of on off for two decades, she said, and they really loved each other. It's the one love that she talks about that he was really supportive and there for her and she just says that he was a lovely, excellent man. Everyone else has skipped over and there's oh, the sure, stuff because not said. She gets married at one point. I mean, mm. she barely mentions it and yeah. he's not talked about. And then no. she has another relationship she doesn't talk about at all. Yeah. So this Bob, well, I wonder why they split up then. I think they said it was just too difficult to live separately and okay. be in different films. And it was in the middle of her mega fame. He was there right at the beginning of her mega fame. God, he's a lucky sod, isn't he? <laughs> cool. But it's interesting that you said that they kind of were the love of each other's lives for like 20 years. But actually she married other people in she that 20 She said years. it. we really tried to be there for each other maybe in yeah. over two decades at different parts of the universe. Yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work no. out. And maybe marrying other people made her realise what she had with Bob. I think so. I th- Bob. It's sitting there looking back over your life because I think she yeah. wrote this in COVID and you actually realised that relationship was lovely. And then she went on to do Casino. Yes. Which was a very, very cool gangster film, very glamorous, sat in Vegas. And she'd said that, she'd always said to her drama tutor that her dream was to one day be good enough to sit opposite Robert De Niro and hold her own. And she did that in that film, which is very cool. I mean, that's a very specific dream to actually have that come true. Then 9-11 happens and she manages to escape the island. Yeah, she escapes New York, gets a truck, drives to Pennsylvania, drops some of her sister's friends off. Everything's good. She makes it home and her brain explodes. So she has a hemorrhage. A brain hemorrhage. Yeah, which just bleeds out and just doesn't stop bleeding into her brain. Yeah, and she does go into this at some depth. The various fuck-ups by the different doctors, yeah. misdiagnoses... And just some really weird doctor behaviour, like some bloke immediately, a doctor immediately phoning People magazine to report what's happening to her. And then coming in and telling her that he'd done that. Yeah. And then another doctor, whilst she's sort of pretty much in and out of consciousness, describing to her in detail her different films and why she'd failed at them. And why she was bad in them. Like critiquing her career. Some really crazy stuff. Oh, whoa. And then what about her gran appearing at the end of her bed? She has this really clear vision that her gran appears at the end of her bed, her nice gran, and says to her, you must not move your neck. Whatever you do, don't move your neck. Thanks, gran. And so she gets a teddy bear and stuffs it in the crook of her neck and does not move her neck. And then they end up doing surgery. And if she had moved her neck, she would have died. Well, she's in intensive care with a 1% chance of survival. 1%. It's really complicated, but basically she has brain damage. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she has, she loses her memory, her short-term yeah. memory, her long-term memory. She's deaf on one side. Deaf. Oh, her sight's all buggered. She can just see cubes of light everywhere, the floor's undulating. She can't read for like two years Two after. years. This yeah. takes her two years to pretty much fix herself. That's where she's been. That's where she... Yeah, that's... <laughs> She was at the top of her game. That's after Casino and she disappeared. And that's why. She said, thanks to that stupid doctor reporting a little aneurysm or something to the People magazine, that's what everyone believed was happening. And so nobody knew about her brain damage so she Mm. could keep it under Mm -hmm. the radar. 
What was surprising to me at this point, so she's described her whole hemorrhage intensive care and how it took her two years to come back. And then she just drops in that she's got a son who's one and a half. Yeah, she's adopted him. She also says, though, I can't really talk about this because I've signed things that say I can't, non-disclosure things. I might even get in trouble for saying this much. So let's not talk about him. Let's just say that she's got a one and a half year old son. Yeah, she's just got a one and a half year old son. I know why she can't talk about it. Did her ex-husband get custody? She doesn't have custody of her son. She's only got visiting rights. That's what I saw. I, I read want, it on Wikipedia. Yeah, but I want to know why. Is it because of everything, her medical problems, or is she crazy? Well, it, it seemed to me, because I did the same. I had to research into what she's bloody going on about. Why did she lose her son? She had him as a baby. She brought him right through to being one and a half and then lost custody. But then another time when she's in a sort of chapter where she's talking about Me Too, she says there was a director who refused to direct her unless she sat on his lap to take notes. She kept refusing, so he called her in every single day at the crack of dawn to get oh, to make up yeah. hair, costume, and then didn't use her. And she, he called her in every single day. And this went on and on, she was saying, so she was just sat in her trailer with her baby. So she was doing jobs with a baby. And that's the only clue we've got. Mm -hmm. It's the only bit she talks about that time. And then she's obviously got brain damage and then eventually loses her one-and-a-half-year-old son because she talks about him coming in the room, pushing over this massive pile of tools and saying to her, no more jammies, mum. Yeah. Like so she realises this is a massive cry for help from this little child who wants a mum back. So she starts to really drag herself out of bed at this point and it's the biggest push she has to try and recuperate. So you don't know the ins and outs and she's not allowed to talk about it. But, uh, but I imagine it's because she's deemed unable to look after him because she's incredibly ill. She's Yeah, and she is unable to look after him. That's no fault of her it own. It isn't, no. Yeah. I don't think she sees him for 13 years. She says it's heartbreaking. He's completely taken from her. Wow. It's like you have to sort of try and read between the lines. Yeah, because she's such a Zen mother now and all about forgiveness. Actually, she's not going to call anybody out even. Well, she says well, she can't talk about to. it. Yeah. It's just so weird how she's just not horrible about anybody apart, apart from, from Cher. Cher. <laughs> True. We need it's to get so to the shocking. bottom of this. And when I reread it just before we meeting up today, I, re I read it twice again just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, a load of stuff went on. She says she fought 13 years and she went through various court cases and they got knocked back over and over and she didn't stop fighting and 13 years passed and now he's back in her life. With two other boys, yes. right? Yes, in the meantime, she adopted two other kids kids well this is another Babies. spiritual thing that she had because yeah. she adopted another baby led they've got funny names haven't they yeah that's just scottish for lord yeah. well lord that's a funny name yeah <laughs> it is a funny name <laughs> so she adopted another little baby boy and not soon after she just had this really strong feeling about wanting another one again she, already yeah and then she had a dream that she saw an angel and the angel brought her a baby so she woke up and phoned the adoption agency and said, are you bringing me another one? They said, not that we know of. And what, it's like within a day they phoned up and went, yes, the same parents are pregnant again. How yeah. did you know? She, yeah. She said, oh, an angel showed me in a dream. She sees angels mm. to the point 
do you know when her friend died and she, I think she was on a film set and she went into the closet and just broke down on the floor crying. And then she said this big woman appeared next to her with a Bible. And at this point, I kind of think, oh, come on, Sharon, you're seeing too many angels now. Then she says afterwards, she comes out and the first thing she sees is this crew member. He's got a baseball cap on and it says John 3.16, which is all about enduring everlasting love. Like you, you don't die, you carry on forever. And then Sharon Stone actually says, I'm not in the least bit religious, but I can take a hint. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And it's kind of like, she's really perceptive to angels. Mm. And I find it really hard to believe. Whatever it is, when some people's minds are just really open, yeah. She actually said she saw a woman next to her holding a Bible. Yeah. And reading to her, I think she read to her. But it's not religious-based, it's spiritual. Spiritual, yeah. yeah she's okay. just really open yeah. to all ideas about everything, and like visualising things. So like when her dad got ill, he had three months to live. He had a tumour and it's come out of his esophagus and they said, we can't operate on it unless somehow... We could get it back into the esophagus because then we operate on the whole thing. And she said, right, you've basically got a week to see if you can get that back in there. And he says, oh, I'm going to do that. And I would do anything. And she said, right. And he's never done anything spiritual or believed in anything like that. But he had nothing to lose at this point. So she just said, picture it as a colour, imagine it in your mind, and then you've got to imagine it going back in. And he did this solidly for a week and they went back to the doctors and there it was. It was back in and they operated successfully and got it out. Lucky coincidence. But in her, but in also they said the surgery is very dangerous because your heart rate can really drop. So she said to him, right, this is how you're going to get through that. You're going to imagine a drum that keeps beating and you're going to actually visualise a drum and that drum does not change the beat. So we kept this image all the way through and they said it is unheard of that someone's heartbeat didn't change and his didn't change at all. And they named him the bull and they named a heart machine after him because oh, it was yeah. so amazing that he got through this. Yeah. So this stuff really works and I need to remember this. Why isn't everybody doing it then? Because they don't know about it. <laughs> so they need and to people reset. don't believe, like cynical people like you don't yeah, believe. Yeah, I don't believe it. You do a bit, don't you? Sharon Stone can make me believe anything because I'm in love with her. <laughs> she should become a cult leader and I would join. I don't want to disbelieve her, but no, of course you can't. I think there's powers we don't know how to tap into and I'm willing to give the power of the mind. To be honest, it just reading this made me realise that what you are thinking really strongly can affect your daily life. So if I'm thinking negative thoughts, people, people oh, are, no, I that's know just this. on a really small basis. I know, but it yeah. just reminded me of that. And I thought I must remember to try and keep my positive thoughts up because I've been going down negative paths of late. And I thought, right, I've got to beef up my positive thoughts to make positivity happen. Yeah, I know, but can it have a physical change? I believe it can from what she made her dad do. It's amazing. But he really, really had to believe it. And he did because he had nothing to lose at that point. So maybe I was just thinking things. You have to really believe. You have to go to a place of, I don't know, we're just chatting back. It's worth a try. No, I've heard other instances of this happening. Okay, do you know what? I can totally get behind the positive thinking thing. Mm. I can. I, I know that um, if you change your mind and use your mind effectively, you can achieve great, extraordinary things. Yeah. I don't really believe in her seeing angels. Yeah, that's fair. By the way, in a similar vein, she said after she watched Basic Instinct, she realised how strong she came across. 
and beautiful. She saw herself as beautiful and strong and she didn't feel beautiful and strong inside. And she thought, I'm going to take this from this film. I'm going to try and be that person, even if it's only on the outside. It's like the fake it to make it, Mm -hmm. to try to actually project that and hide her vulnerability to make better things happen for her. It is amazing because I guess then if she saw that at that point when she saw Basic Instinct... That's when we kind of met her, if you like. Yeah. Because I think the reason she did 18 films before she broke through, she might never have broken through. Her agent said to her, you're way too shy when you go into auditions. Mm. And it's really hard to imagine her as shy. Yeah. That's because we met her at Basic Instinct yep. and she decided she saw to that character that and keep that person. Yeah. yeah. That's who we think Sharon Stone is. She has become, she's grown in, she's learned into being that person. She's pieced together a lot of her problems and understood them. She's gone on a massive mental journey, hasn't she? We should say, which I don't think we've actually made quite clear yet, is there's a very clear delineation in her life before and after the hemorrhage. Yeah. And, like, afterwards, she's come out, and it's almost like a self-help book in a way. And she's basically saying, in a much more articulate way, don't sweat the small stuff. Like, none of it matters. Forgiveness is key, Her parents are lucky she had a hemorrhage because they shouldn't be in her life. And she's totally embraced them. It's actually changed her. Her hemorrhage changed her parents Mm. because they come to look after her at one point. That's true. I'll tell you the only unanswered thing that's been bothering me because she got all of this stuff explained and she understands her mum. There's no, I was searching for it. I was like, there's no explanation as to why her mum, knowing her dad's a paedophile, dropped her two daughters at. His house. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's been bugging me. I cannot. She has not mentioned that everything else she's forgiven and understood, but I don't understand that. Sharon Stone says at the end of this book, now she's still working on her relationship with her mum, she says it's just taught her how complicated the after effects of abuse are. Okay, so we're supposed to leave it at that. Yeah, because no, it blows my mind that that woman who'd been a victim of that paedophile dropped her toddler daughters off at that house it's unforgivable but i I don't understand that there could be any motive i get that whipping somebody to make them learn jobs to make them be able to stand on their two feet but how does that help seriously how does that help anything it doesn't but sharon stone is now an extraordinary person she's actually forgiven her grandfather and actually said and she says she's coming to criticism for this she said she pities her grandfather for being a paedophile because what kind of life is that? Yeah, that's really interesting, that talk. And about how the victim always seems weak and the perpetrator always seems strong, but actually the perpetrator is the one who's weak and has a mental illness. Yeah. And nobody would ever wish themselves to be a paedophile or that messed up or a perpetrator of crimes. It's a disease upon those people. Well, the book is called, what's it called? The Beauty, the Beauty of, of Living, Living Twice. Twice. And this is it. She's She had that whole life of being a massive film star and everything she ever wanted. And then her brain exploded. The key to her life, I've heard Oprah said this. She said her life changed when she realised that her job was to serve and then that's what Oprah does through her shows and her yeah, magazine. Yeah, and that's and exactly stuff. the same here. And Sharon Stone, since this has happened to her, oh my God, she's helped every so many causes. Her, she's, of, yeah, she's dedicated her life to charities, but really hands-on, 
meeting people, turning their lives around. On Christmas Eve, she goes with a truck to give all the homeless people sleeping bags and stuff. And the police are trying to make her move on because she's causing a disturbance and she's really standing up mm. to them. She's really become a fighter for the underdog, raising millions of pounds. And I didn't know this about her. I didn't know anything about her in this way. And the other thing I think... Writing this book is her coming out about abuse and incest, she's calling it as well, which mm-hmm. is, of course, sexual abuse. But she's saying sexual abuse within a family is the nucleus of all abuse. What she's always said, her and her sister have talked about it over all the years, whether they should talk about it out and come out. But it would have been sensationalised if they had. Mm-hmm. Whereas she's processed it all into this book, which becomes a manual and not just a journalist story. It's a whole picture. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason to talk about the whole thing. And she's saying the Me Too movement's really helping because people are talking about it. It's like, actually, we've been silent. Everyone's, everyone's been silent, including men, because one of the things she said, fact, we must, sexual abuse, we must end it for everyone through governing, not shaming and public opinion. We need real laws for this, both felony and misdemeanor laws. Rape kits must be processed and men must be taken seriously as victims. All of that, I thought, that's an amazing speech. But most of all, what she's saying is we need to stop hiding it, hiding crimes by not talking about it. Like, why is her, did her mum never say? Why did she drop her kids off? Why did her and her sister never say? Why have they kept all this hidden and allow him to die mm. and be glad that he's dead? No. And if the, her speaking up and writing this book can help anyone... That's why she's writing it. It feels like that is why she's writing it. Yeah, I totally get that this whole book is not like your generic film star memoir. No, which all. is why she hasn't told us so much about yeah. the film. It's just the stories that aid yeah. her. It's an extraordinary thing that happened to her. Isn't that amazing? She says that when she's recovering from her aneurysm hemorrhage thing and nobody's quite getting her and she's finding it so difficult... She says one of her very good friends helped her through it, and that was Quincy Jones. Quincy bloody Jones. Who we know all about because we've read his book. Yes. And of course, he had an aneurysm himself. He had a couple, he didn't very, he? He should have died. Yes. Sharon Stone should have died. Yeah, both yeah. of them should have died. So he was the right person to yeah. go to. Plus, they're really good friends. How lucky he's... to have him as a friend. I know. What and... a lovely friend. He immediately yeah. said, come and spend Christmas with us. Yeah, he got her help with his doctor who got her on the That's right medication. Right, the right medication. It changed everything, didn't it? see again yeah she had to present an oscar in a month with john travolta yeah and then she thought wouldn't it be great if they could dance she could barely walk at the time and in one month from having quincy jones's doctor they danced onto the stage and she says the whole audience stood up and some people were crying and they didn't know why they didn't know what she'd been through this is how these things can be conveyed like Mm -hmm. i think if we now rewatch basic instinct knowing her journey we would sense we would get it Let's rewatch it. If I had time and I wasn't reading all these books, I'd definitely <laughs> rewatch it. Okay, get this. I applauded at the end of this book. Did you? I shut the book and actually properly collapsed. Mm-hmm. I was like, because I feel like the last couple of chapters were sort of big speeches on how we need to support each other, how women need to support each other, how we need to talk and look after people and not let this happen and stop these crimes not just in the film industry, across the whole of society. And everything she seems to do in her whole life is to make people better. And I was like, well done, Sharon. You are amazing. 
Shall we just round her off with a round of applause in? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon Stone. <laughs> We've never finished on a round of applause I know. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thrift Shop Biography. We love making this podcast and we're absolutely thrilled that so many of you are already listening. You could really help us out by leaving us a review somewhere, wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could share us, tell your friends about us or drop some links on social media. We have a Facebook page called Thrift Shop Biography. So make sure you come over there to hear about the episodes first and what else we're up to. Okay, see you next week. And if you're new here, there are loads more episodes now to go and listen in the back catalogue. So make sure you go and enjoy them. Okay, thank you very much.